This is the audio podcast, First Person Drunk, brought to you by the public domain, Whiskey, and me, Miles Tabor. Uh, Before I get started, I do have a quick apology to make. I would like to apologize to Whiskey uh, in all of the ID3 tags, all of the promotional stuff, the iTunes description. I've been spelling Whiskey with an E, which is a valid spelling of whiskey however the whiskey that has been supporting me through this book so far is maker's mark uh kentucky bourbon whiskey which is spelled without an e there are important and significant differences between whiskey spelled with an e and whiskey spelled without an e which i would be happy to outline for you if i were sober and if i knew them So, uh, without further ado, we have Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, Chapter 5. I slowed down when I got to the schoolhouse, and both of them fellas piled in. I guess I better turn north for about a mile, and then turn west, Dr. Kirby, I says, so as to make a kind of a circle around that town. Why so, Rube? he asks me. Well, I says, we left it going east, and they'll follow us east. So don't we want to be going west while they're following east? Louis, he agreed with me, but he said it wouldn't be much use, for we would likely be catched up with and took back and hung or something, anyhow. Louis could get the lowest in his spirits sometime of any man I ever seen. Don't be afraid of that, says the doctor. They are not going to follow us. They know they didn't get this property by due process of law. They aren't going to take the case into a county court where it will all come out about the way they robbed a couple of traveling men with a fake trial. I guess you know more about the law than I do, I says. I kind of thought maybe we stole them horses. Well, he says. We got them anyhow, and if they try to arrest us without a warrant, they'll be the deuce to pay. But they aren't going to make any more trouble. I know these country crooks. They've got no stomach for trouble outside their own township. Which made me feel considerable better, for I never been of the opinion that going against the law done anyone any good. They looks around in that wagon, and all their stuff was there. Jake Smith and the squire having kept it all together, careful to make things seem more legal, I suppose. And the doctor was plumb tickled. And Louis felt as cheerful as he ever felt about anything. So the doctor says they have everything they need but some ready money. And he'll get that, sure. But he never seen the time he couldn't. But Louis, he says, I'm done with country hotels from now on. They've got the last cent they ever will from me, at least in the summertime. How are you going to work it? Louis asks him, like he hasn't no hopes it'll work right. Camp out, says the doctor. I've been thinking it all over. Then he turns to me. Rube, he says, where are you going? Well. I says, I ain't pinted nowhere in particular except away from that town we just left. Which, my name ain't Rube, Dr. Kirby, but Danny. Danny what? asks he. Nothing, says I. Just Danny.
Well then, Danny, says he, how would you like to be an Indian? Medical, asks I, or real? Like Louie, he, says he. I tells him being a medical injun and mixed up with a show like his'n would suit me down to the ground, and asks him what is the main duties of one, besides the blankets and the feathers. Well, he says, this camping out scheme of mine will take a couple of Indians. Instead of paying hotel and feed bills, we will pitch our tent, he says, at the edge of town in each sweet auburn of the plains. We'll save money and we'll be near the throbbing heart of nature. And an Indian camp in each place will be a good advertisement for the Sagraw. You can look after the horses and learn to do the cooking and that kind of thing. And maybe after a while, he says, kind of working himself up to where he thought it was going to be real nice. Maybe after a while, I will give you some insight into the hidden mysteries of selling seawash Indian Sagraw. Well, says I, I'd like to learn that. Would you, says he, kind of laughing at himself and me too, and yet kind of enthusiastic. Well then, the first thing you have to do is learn how to sell corn salve. Anyone that can sell corn salve can sell anything. There's a farmhouse right over there, and I'll give you your first lesson right now. Rummage around in that satchel there under the seat and get me a tin box and some corn salve labels. Now, I found a lot of labels and some boxes, too. The labels was all different sizes, but barring that, they all looked about the same to me. Whilst I was sizing them up, he asked me again, was there any corn salve ones in there? Uh, what color label is it, Dr. Kirby? I asked him, for they was blue labels and white labels and pink labels. Now he looks at me right queer. Can't you read the labels? He says right sharp. Well, I says, I never been much of a reader when it comes to different kinds of medicines. Corn salve is only spelled one way, says he. That's right, I says. And you'd think I'd ought to be able to pick out a common, ordinary thing like corn salve right off, wouldn't you? Danny, he says, you don't mean to tell me you can't read anything at all? I never told you nothing of the kind. He picks out a label. If you can read so fast, what's that? He asks. Now, she is a pink one, I thinks to myself. She either is corn salve. Or else she ain't corn salve. And it ain't natural he will pick corn salve, for he would think I would say that first off. So I'm betting it ain't. I takes a chance on it. That, says I, is mighty easy reading. That is Seawash Indian Sagraw. Now I lost. It's corn salve, he says, and great Scott, they call this the 20th century. I never called it that, says I, sort of mad-like, for I was feeling bad Dr. Kirby had found out I was such a ignoramus. Where ignorance is bliss, says he, it is folly to be wise. But all the same, I'm going to take your education in hand and make you drink of life's Peruvian springs. Or some spring like that it was. And the doctor, he done it. 
Louis said it wouldn't be no use learning to read. He'd done a lot of reading, he said, and it never helped him none. All he ever read showed him this feller Hamlet was right, he said, when he wrote Shakespeare's works, and they wasn't much use in anything without you'd had a lot of money. And they wasn't no chance to get all that with all these here trusts around gobbling up everything and stomping the poor man into the dirt, and they was lots of times he wished he was a injun sure enough and not just a medical one, for then he'd be a free man and all the bosses and the trusts and the railroads and the robber tariff couldn't touch him. And then he shut up and didn't say nothing for a whole hour, except once he laughed. For Dr. Kirby, he says, winking at me, Louis here is a nihilist. Is he? says I. What's that? And the doctor tells me about how they blow up dukes and czars and them foreign high mucky mucks with dynamite, which is when Louis laughed. Well, we jogged along a pretty good gait for several hours, and we stayed that night at a Swede's place, which the doctor paid him for everything in medicine. Only it took a long time to make the bargain, for them Swedes is always careful not to get cheated and hasn't many diseases. And the next night, we showed in a little town, and done right well, and took in considerable money. We stayed there three days, and bought a tent, and a sheet iron stove, and some skillets and things, and some provisions, and a suit of duds for me. Well, we went on, and we kept going on, and they was bully times. We'd ease up careful toward a town and pick us out a place on the edge where the horses could graze along the side of the road and most generally by a piece of woods not far from that town and nigh a creek if we could. Then we'd set up our tent. After we had everything fixed, I'd put on my engine clothes and Louis hisn, and we'd drive through the main store street of the town at a pretty good lick. Me a holt of the reins and the doctor all togged out in his best clothes, and Louis doing an engine dance in the midst of the wagon. I'd pull up the horses sudden in front of the post office or the depot platform or the hotel, and the people they would come crowding around, and the doctor. He'd make a little talk from the wagon and tell everybody there would be a free show that night on that corner and for everybody to come to it. And then we'd drive back to camp, lickety-split. Pretty soon, every boy in town would be out there kind of hanging around to see what an engine camp was like. And the farmers that went into and out of town always stopped and passed the time of day. And the engine camp got the whole town all worked up as a usual thing. And the doctor, he done well, for when night come, everyone would be on hand. Uh, Louis and me, every time we went into town, had on our engine suits. And the doctor, he wondered why he hadn't never thought of that scheme before. Sometimes when there was lots of people ailing in a town, and they hadn't been no show for quite a while, we'd stay five or six days and make a good clean-up. The doctor, he sent to Chicago several times for alcohol in barrels, cause he was selling it so fast he had to make new sagra. And he had to get more and more bottles and a whole satchel full of new sagra labels printed. And all the time, the doctor was learning me education. And shucks, there wasn't nothing so hard about it once you got started into reading things. 
I just naturally took to print like a duck to water. And inside of a month, I was reading nigh everything that has ever been wrote. He had lots of books with him, and every time a new sockdologer of a word come along and I learned how to spell her and where she ought to fit in to make sense, it kind of tickled me all over. And many's the time afterward, when me and the doctor had lost track of each other, and there was quite a spell people got to thinking I was a tramp, I went into these here Andrew Carnegie libraries in different towns, just as much to see if they had anything fitting to read as for to keep warm. Well, we went easing over toward the Indiana line, and we was having a pretty good time. There wasn't no work to do you could call really hard, and there was plenty of vittles. Afternoons, we lazy around the camp, and swap stories, and make medicine if we needed a batch, and josh back and forth with the people that hung around, and loaf, and doze, and smoke, or maybe do a little fishing if we was nigh a crick. And nights after the show was over, it was fun too. We always had a fire, even if it was a hot night, for to cook by in the first place, and for to keep mosquitoes off, and to make things seem more cheerful. They ain't nothing so good as hanging round a campfire. And they ain't nothing any better than sleeping outdoors neither. You roll up in your blanket with your feet to the fire, and you get to wondering things about things before you go to sleep. The silentness just naturally swamps everything after a while, and then all of them queer little noises you never hear in the daytime comes popping and poking through the silentness or kind of scratching their way through it sometimes, and makes it kind of feel more silent than ever. And if you are nigh a crick, pretty soon it will sort of get to talking to you, only you can't make out what it's trying to say, and you get to wondering about that too. And if you are in a tent, and it rains, and the tent don't leak, that rain is a kind of a nice thing to listen to itself. But if you can see the stars, you get to wondering more than ever. They come out, and they is so many of them, and they are so far away, and yet they are so kind of friendly-like, too, if you happen to be feeling pretty good. But if you ain't feeling pretty good, just lay there and look at them stars long enough, and then maybe you'll see it don't make no difference whether you're feeling good or not. For they got a way of making your private troubles look mighty small. And you get to wondering why that is, too. For they ain't human, and it don't stand a reason you ought to pay no attention to them one way or nor the other. They is just there, like trees and cricks and hills. But I have often noticed that the things that is just there has got a way of seeming more friendly than the things that has been built and put there. You can look at a big iron bridge, or a grain elevator, or a canal all day long, and if you're feeling blue, it don't help you none. It was just put there. Or a haystack is the same way. But you go and lazy around in the grass when you're down on your luck, and kind of make remarks to a crick, or a big old walnut tree, and before long it gets you to feeling like it didn't make no difference how you felt anyhow you don't amount to nothing by the side of something that was always there. You get to thinking how the whole world itself was always here, 
and you sort of see they ain't nothing important enough about yourself to worry about, and presently you will go to sleep and forget it. The doctor says to me one time, them stars ain't any different from this world, and this is one of them, which is a fool idea, as anyone can see. He had a lot of queer ideas like that, Dr. Kirby had, but they ain't nothing like sleeping out of doors nights to make you wonder the kind of wonderings you never will get any answer to. Well, I never cared so much for houses after them days. They was bully times, them was, and I was kind of proud of being with a show, too. Many's the time I have went down the street in that there engine suit and seen how the young fellas would have given all they owned to be me. And every now and then you would hear one say when you went past, Huh, I know him. That's one of them show fellas. <laughs> one afternoon, we pitches our tent right on the edge of a little town called Athens. We was nigh the bank of a creek, and they was a grove there. We was camped just outside of a woodlot fence, and back in through the trees from us, there was a house with a hedge fence all around it. There was apple trees and all kind of flower bushes and things inside of the hedge. The second day we was there, I takes a walk back through the woodlot and along past the house, and they was one of these here early harvest apple trees, spilling apples through a gap in the fence. Them is a mighty sweet and juicy kind of apple, and I picks one up and bites into it. I think you might have asked for it, says someone. 